Hello, we are waking up to racism. This is the Team Superdad Expert Hangout. We're talking with Errol Lawson and Tony Ashley about the challenges we're all facing as we wake up to racism in the world today. Roll theme. Welcome to Team Superdad. Real dads creating their best lives ever. More time, more money, more fun. You are not alone. You're on Team Super Dad. Hello and welcome to the Team Super Dad podcast. This episode is an expert hangout. If you've not joined, tuned in before, well, welcome. The expert hangout is where I get a couple of different people on to talk about the same subject. Sometimes two, three, four. I kind of worked out it works better with a couple of us though. And this week, Errol Lawson, Tony Ashley, both friends of mine for a while now actually, about 10 years, both of them, a little bit longer for Tony. But as you'll see from the interview, both black gentlemen and what a timely uh, subject, really, you're in the world today. We actually recorded this a couple of weeks ago and following the um, George Floyd incident, let alone however many years, decades, even centuries of other incidents, I just felt that I didn't know enough about racism. I didn't know enough about what it was like to be a black person. Um, I think I don't even think I really knew what what to call a black person. Obviously, in the world today, you hear a lot. You hear color of uh, uh, people of color. You hear uh, African Americans. You 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 hear black people. And you know, like if if I don't even know something as simple as that, if I'm if I'm uncomfortable or feeling concerned about something as simple as that, then blimey what how much deeper does it go and that's something that I've really come to question come to ask myself and we all need to as dads as employers as business owners leaders as people in our community friends you know we've got we work with black people we work with or or or, uh, black and Asian minorities and you know it's speaking for myself at 46 years old I haven't experienced a lot of like overt nasty racism but I can think of experiences in my life where I've seen it I can I can think of experiences in my life where I've said the wrong thing and I've been corrected by a friend you know um and so it's 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 at all levels it permeates into our lives and from documentaries like the 13th or Spike Lee's movie uh the Black Klansman. The, the there's just so much out there that we could educate ourselves with, and yet we don't. I say we. I speak for myself. Actually, probably better. I haven't up until now, and with this George Floyd incident, this killing, you know, the world's hopefully waking up. I've taken it upon myself to have a better understanding. I the expression and I'm sorry I seem to be stuttering a little or bumbling a little bit some of these things are hard to say it's hard to know what to what to do and that's the thing that we must all take on it's not enough to be not racist you know we all have to become anti-racist and that's been a bit of a meme that's been going around and I saw it a number of times and I, and I really thought to myself what first of all what does that mean and then the second of all how does that relate to me and the thing that sprang to mind most was around football you know we see about kick it out and we see in the UK a, a famous footballer called Raheem Sterling um, you know 
being covered in the press, um, making a stand, um, coming out in interviews. And it just occurs to me too much like that's, that's, oh, that's happened on the football pitch. That's, that's out of order. That's outrageous. But it, but I only see it in the context of that football match and that incident. I never really thought about it of he's been experiencing that his whole life. What's that like for him? What was that like for his family? And as you dig deeper into that, you start to learn that black parents tell their kids different things. The sort of information, the guidance, the encouragement, the warnings that parents of black children um, give are different than that of white parents, certainly ones that I would have heard growing up. And so I really wanted this to be an awakening for myself so that I could better lead the Team Superdad community, so that I could better educate my kids, so that I could better work with black or Asian people. And more than anything, I wanted to do my part. So I hope you enjoy this. If you do, comment, like, share. There's a bunch of resources on the uh, blog post of this um interview of this conversation of this expert hangout and they're all listed there i recommend you go and check them out watch some of the documentaries on netflix make a stand for yourself first and foremost and get wise so without further ado my good friends tony and errol join me and i look forward to seeing you on the other side ask comments as we go along uh, leave comments as we go along uh, please feel free to share this is important that we get as many people get this out to as many people as possible so that we get to make an impact and start to shift attitudes, shift mindsets inside of the white community, you know, inside of people like me and you, so that we can have a better understanding of what's going on, so that we can make a better stand for our black and Asian friends and community, and so that the world can change. It needs to. It fundamentally needs to. Our, our history, our national holidays, our statues... You know, we need to have an awakening so that we start to understand exactly what it's like. And most of all, most of all, no one should have to experience life differently because of the skin colour. You know, we can get on to socio and economic backgrounds. That's fine. But first and foremost, no one should have to experience life differently because of their skin colour. I hope you enjoy this expert hangout. I look forward to seeing you on the other side. Oh, and by the way. It's super long. So we're going to do it in two parts. So when you get to 60 minutes, just like the normal Team Superdad podcast episodes, it's going to finish. And then there'll be a part two, which I really hope you come and join us for the second part. In the second part, Errol asked me a couple of questions, which again, were really enlightening for me. So I'm going to stop waffling on now. It's a bit different than some of the normal expert hangouts. I hope you love it. I hope you can do something with it. And like I said, I'll see you on the other side. Good evening, welcome to the Team Superdad Expert Hangout. It's Monday night as always, 8 o'clock, sometimes five minutes later. We are here though, uh, around the world, across the different Team Superdad channels, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. It's great to have you here. Team Superdad is a community of dads who want more. We are supercharging dads' lives across the world. Whether you want to be more, make more or play more, it really is about, you know, those areas where perhaps you want to be a bit fitter, perhaps you want to have a bit more time with your kids, have a slightly better relationship. What I found in my life is that there are, we try and do too much. We try and, you know, we're great in one area and perhaps just hope that the other area is going to be all right. Well, what if there were people around us who were super good at staying fit and someone else was super good at managing their money? Well, they're the kind of people we want to get together with and um, just 
build community, build groups, build, you know, that, that, that whole idea of we are the six people we spend our most time with. So let's make sure we're hanging out with some good people as often as possible. And tonight very much uh, exemplifies that as I'm hanging out with two awesome guys, uh, Tony, who's top left on my screen and Errol, who's in the, in the middle underneath both of us. <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the uh, expert hangout tonight. Thanks so much for accepting my invitation. Tony, Thank how you. are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good as well as can be. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Whereabouts are you in the world, Tony? And tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm in Stoke Newington. I'm a a Baptist minister and I pastor a church there. Um, I was in East London in in a place called Aldersbrook, which many people haven't heard of. So it's really hard to explain where it is, (laughs) but it's nice and leafy. Um, yeah, so I've been uh, been in ministry for about seven years now, and um, I'm still enjoying it. Yeah, of course, because when we first met, you you weren't, were you? No, That's right. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. My last my last uh, secular job was working for British Transport Police in the uh, recruitment division, and I helped uh, police officers go through their promotions. That's exactly right. Now I totally remember that. Well, thank you so much. And um, uh, Stoke Newington, in that kind of London area, still, isn't it? Yeah, London. London, So East London, good, awesome. Yeah. And how big is your, you know, the, the, the church is? is, is... It's, it's roughly about 80, 80. Okay, right, yeah. nice. So it's a nice fair number. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks so much for having us here tonight. And Errol, where are you? And Johnny J. Good to see you, buddy. Yeah, you too, man, you too. Thanks for putting this together, man. Uh, so based in Birmingham, um, I lead a church called the Bridge Church in a place called Harborne in Birmingham. We're a church plant. So we're just uh, a year old now, 12 months old. Yeah. And, um, you know, God has been doing amazing things. And whilst doing that, I'm also running a business um, where we provide mentoring, training, leadership development, consultancy, um, predominantly in the education sector, but also in some other private and public spaces too. Yeah. And I just, I know how many lives you've impacted, uh, Errol. Of course you have as well, Tony, but I, and I know through Errol's work, um, coaching kids in schools, teenagers, your books. I mean, you're, you're being, uh, uh, I'll speak on your behalf and, and acknowledge you for how many uh, families and the lives of, of, of young people you, you have made a difference in. So thank you for being you. Oh, thank God, man. Thank you, man. Yeah, awesome. So this is uncomfortable, guys, right? I mean, I uh, uh, Paul watching, Marsha watching. If anybody else is watching, uh, please. And I can see. Normally, we get about two to three hundred people uh, on the lives across the different channels. So if you are watching, then please help us. You know, start a watch party, share this in the different groups that you're participating in. If you're watching on the replay, still do that. Thank you very much. Um, Kobe scratching good to have you on there's going to be I'm expecting quite a few more and and I just want to say up front like this subject it's not it's not me jumping on a bandwagon it's 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 been a real eye-opener I was on a on a um uh, a zoom call on it was Monday night I think it was Tony wasn't it and it was uh, a group of us who were all friends from different landmark courses and I was the only white person I was the only white guy tony i think you were the only other guy on there i wasn't there oh you weren't there okay no i wasn't there no no right okay ah you obviously people were saying talk to tony talk to tony but it was just you know people from iran people from um the caribbeans other people from different parts of africa sangeeta from pakistan 
and obviously everything's going on with 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 America and um, and George Floyd and and it's just really awoken in me this the, the reality that I don't really know much about the subject of racism and the posts that I've seen this week saying it's not enough not to be racist it's time that we we stood up and were anti-racist and you know slogans like that Raheem Sterling springs to mind you know as, as, as over the last 18 months a footballer who's been high profile and and really raised the topic of 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 racism anti-racism the English England football team you know over um I forget where it was but it was in Eastern Europe and I hear these news items I have an opinion like okay that's outrageous um and I just get back on with my life and and it's, it's in this week with all the stuff that's going on in the world that I've really in this this zoom call on Monday that I've really questioned how much do I know like how much do I stand up, stand up for this subject? You know, I, I wouldn't be okay with someone being racially abusive to a friend of mine standing next to me in a pub or even to someone I didn't know in a pub. But then, but still, how much have I turned a blind eye to? And that, that could be made no more apparent by watching the 13th this week on Netflix and just seeing like a story unfold of a, of a journey from, from slavery through to 2.5 million people in, 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 in American prisons and what percentage of those are black and, and how much... It, it it like plays on communities and, and I was just like, Oh my gosh, I don't, I don't have a clue. And then you think, well, in what other circumstances are people allowed things to go on for too long under the premise of, well, it doesn't really affect me or I, I, I don't understand it. And in, 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 it's not too close to turning a blind eye basically. And so this, tonight is is me saying i don't want to turn a blind eye any anymore so and i want to make it clear we're not here to dig up shocking stories we're not here to you know to 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 rally people to to anything that they're not already rallied to but if if i can if i can become more conscious out of this conversation tonight then i feel that um that other people might be able to as well. Um, and, and, and I'm so, so thrilled that you two you know, were able to, to, to take me up on this invitation because I know obviously clearly you, you have personal perspective on it, but as well representing different communities in Birmingham, in London, and, and some of how that experience you both got, you both married, you got, you know, got your children, you got, you got wives. Like there's a lot here where I've got children. I was married. Oh, hopefully I will be married again. Like we're just guys. And, and I think that the, the more that we can realize that everybody's opportunities in life should be the same. People shouldn't feel different concerns when they hear a police siren than, than, than other people. People shouldn't go into a job having different concerns than, than another person because of their skin color. And, and, and that for me is, is really the heart and the intention of, of, of tonight's call. So Thanks. I've, I've written some questions. I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and read them. I, I think we just hopefully just, just go with the flow. If, if we hit the normal kind of time for this, then we'll let the live stream carry on. But for anyone listening to the podcast, I'll probably do it. I'll cut it in half and do a, do a, do a second episode. Um, and, I, and I just thank you all for joining us. Feel free to ask questions. I can see them coming in and, and I'll try and field them and, and share them with Errol and Tony. Um, and and let's, let's just go for it. Let's, let's see what we can make happen. Good. So I've got, I've got a, here's a good question to start us off with, right? What do black people like want to be called, right? I've got, you've got, it's like uncomfortable, yeah? 
I got see I see I see more and more people on TV, black people saying, "Oh, we are people of color," and then Black Lives Matter is on signs all around the world. Blame is the black starts with black. I know it's Asian, and I don't even know what the hell. This is kind of like my level of awareness. I don't even know what blame blame fully stands for. How does that sit with you guys? What how how do you refer to yourselves? Well, I suppose let me answer first because I like yeah. to answer first on yeah. that one. Um, you know, I, I, I'd like to be called black simply because I couldn't say, oh, I, I had a chat with uh, uh, Johnny Johnny, and uh, the other day. He's a, he's a pink, pasty kind of looking guy <laughs> with a bit of a tan. You know, he's a white guy. <laughs> you know, that's me personally. He's, you know, just call me a black guy. You know, when, it's, when it becomes... Uh, you know, uh, Tony's a person of colour. It's like, what are you talking about? You, you, you feel a bit awkward. Um, you know, it's not natural. It's, it's just not natural. Just call me black. It's okay. Yeah. It's fine. You know, mm. just the other bits that are added on don't need to be added on. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Well, mm. I was when I was thinking about that, well, I was like, I think it... I'm happy to be called white, but I haven't got all the other connotations that, that come with the different layers that perhaps come with it, you know. So. Mm. Mm. Yeah, political correctness, right? Um, you know, we're in this world now, everyone's trying to make everyone feel comfortable. And so what do we call them? Do we call them, you know, are they black? Are they people of color? Are they BAME and BME and BAME? And like, we're just black. Um, I, I I personally, and I can't speak, I won't try to speak for every black person. No, of course. Know that there's some black person that feels like they want to be called Nubian or they want to be called, you know, African or something else, you know, but. Um, I'm, I'm happy with black. Black's yeah. cool. And mm. are you both of black African origin, or is it Caribbean, or where, where, what's what's your generational kind of origins there? Caribbean, right? Caribbean, Jamaica. Mm. I can hear it now. But <laughs> <though. laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, that's a good question, though. You know, yeah. because oftentimes um, there's a disconnect. Because I would say, well, my parents are Jamaican. Um, interestingly, I did a DNA test recently and my DNA showed me that um, I'm, my root is in Nigeria. Okay. In fact, uh, a tribe called the Yoruba tribe in Nigeria is where my root is. Now, so there's a journey, a historical genealogy going back to Nigeria, right? Um, one of the challenges for a lot of, um, of us as black people growing up in this country was that there's no sense of root. There's no sense of culture. There's no sense of where we actually come from. And so um, it's really important, I think, for, for black people to understand, but also for white people to understand as well, that number one, there's a, a, a challenge around who am I, my identity, my mm. culture, my history, because I don't know. I, 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 when we grew up in, in, in school, in primary school, I remember seeing like, um, we did a thing called a 24-hour famine. And this was like a... Um, it was like this thing that some charity had run where we were we were, fam- we, were, we, were we were going on this kind of famine thing to, to to raise money for starving kids in Africa. And so our conditioning around Africa was that um, there were starving kids who were swatting flies, who were poor, who were, we did not want to be anything near African. I remember two sisters that came to our primary school from Africa and um, when they came, we we mocked them, we we bullied them because like you're African, like uh, like, and so there's this kind of disconnect that we've been programmed to even hate, dislike 
our own historical roots. Yeah. And so that's, that's caused an identity crisis too. Yeah. I mean, that's, you're already touching on elements of, of um, themes inside that documentary, the 13th. And, and I, I'll speak mm. about the 13th cause I just watched it the other day. I know there's lots of others. Mm. I know that my level of knowledge like is, is, is this, is this thin, but mm. it was just, they were saying in there like this, how um, talking about black, crime in america and and over the generations of of what they've done with the prison system and the change in the laws where black communities are outraged about the violent black people and so they came to accept themselves as oh we are we are we are to be feared we are and then you said it a minute ago as well tony before we before we press record like going into a job and kind of trying to quieten yourself down for 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 fear of what people already think of you and there was there was a something went around the internet today as well um i took a screen grab of it um where is it i have to make myself smaller or be labeled an angry black person like which is pretty much what what, what you were saying there so errol these this i can really see that as well because growing with a very similar age tony how old are you i think you're 54 so you've got a couple of years a couple of years on me and errol yeah. but yeah like yeah. ethiopia band 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 aid live aid yeah, um yeah, yeah. yeah i can totally see that like you're you're from africa but actually africa's full of starving people who are poor and start like mm. you can't be proud of proud of that when actually mm. you well that's, a, that's like some weird twisted thing in inside and again it's a level of 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 complete unawareness as a, as a white person there not thinking mm. or feeling anything the same as what was what you guys are experiencing mm. Mm. Yeah. and how many black people um, were in uh, your your school errol is it, is it is it what kind of community did you grow up in so i i grew up in inner city birmingham um so a place called hansworth in birmingham went to a primary school called set mary's which was predominantly black and asian uh, you might have had maybe one or two white kids in our year group you know okay um but um i then passed 11 plus and went to a school a grammar school on the other side of birmingham a place called sutton coldford where i was the only black boy in my year group <laughs> so culture shock. it's culture shock mate culture boy. shock i was surrounded by like no i had some good friends there but there were some real racist um people there and, and you know what i had a I had a, a, me- a WhatsApp message today to check the tweets, the, the Twitter feed of my old school. And apparently there's some, like, some posts where they've um, got some kids dressed up in slavery and all this chains and stuff, you know, and talking about, like, the, the, the culture that was there when I was there, still there, basically, right? Um, so that was really, really tough. But um, something you said earlier about, um, you know, having to play small, um, to be small, to silence yourself. Um, just to give some context to that, right? Yeah. So it's a quick story, just, just for context. So age 14, um, myself and some friends, my cousin, we go to Coventry. We live in Birmingham. We get a bus to Coventry. It's an hour journey. And we, we get there in the afternoon. We're walking through the town centre. And some security guards start kind of following us and we notice them. Uh, and we'll get to the end of this concourse and the police are waiting there for us. And they say, we're arresting you on suspicion of robbery. And we're like, huh? Like what? And um, so I asked, like, when did this happen? Like, what time was this? 
So it was this morning, and so uh, I showed him my bus ticket, my day saver ticket. Yeah. That was evidence that I was still in Birmingham then, <laughs> hadn't even gotten the bus, you know. Yeah. We're arresting you anyway, they said. And so um, they locked us up, and um, my dad came to get us from, from Birmingham. And um, the interesting thing was that day, I got home, and I got my backside whooped that day, yeah? Now, and this was the thing. Um, I got whooped because I shouldn't have been there. Now, it wasn't a case of an injustice was done. Let's go to the police and um, complaints commission, whatever. Let's, you know, let's protest. It was, you shouldn't have been there. And so if you can imagine just the whole mindset of that culture, where we're conditioned from a young age just to say, you know what? Don't expect anything different. Don't fight back. Keep your head down. Work hard. Don't 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 get caught up. And so, from a young age, that's how we we were trained to even think. It, there was no other reality. There was no way we could, you know. And so, it took a lot. It's taken a lot to fight through that, to to shake that off, and to break through by the grace of God and start start doing stuff. Wow, that just I mean, mm. and. Well, I'm just processing that really, you know, because, because again, I think I'm 14. I've got how many times have I walked through the, sh- through the shopping centers? Um, and, and we'll come back to that definitely. But Tony, you said it's the same thing when, you know, black, uh, a police knocking at your door. Yeah. This was recently, was it? And you said again, again, another, like, how, like, like what, what are you doing here? Why are you knocking on my door again? Yeah. And it's quite funny because we, we was chatting last week and we was talking about um, how would I recognize um, the doorbell ringing that it was the police? Cause I immediately got up and went, somebody's ringing the doorbell like it's the police. And I, I went to the door and I was just about to like make a joke and it was the police. And I thought, well, how did they know I'm on the computer protesting? <laughs> you know? yeah. And it wasn't, it, it wasn't that they, they had, they said they had a call um, for number five. And um, did I make that call? And I said, no. So you're not flat five. And I live in a five story, four story house. And I said, no, you sure. And, and, and it was like, are you sure? I said, this is, and I had the attitude then, this is all one house, you know, and, you know, and, and then they, they walked off and, um, you know, nothing else happened, but I, I was still shaken and it, because it's, it could have turned out totally different. Yeah. Um, and you feel that all the time. Um, you know, I, I live quite close to the police station. Um, so when you hear the sirens or when you're driving through a traffic lights and you hear the sirens, you know, my, my belly goes because I'm thinking, uh, is it going to be me this time? You know, I have been stopped um, uh, a few times and one classic time was uh, um, you fit the description of XYZ um, that we're looking for and I'm, I just come back from marriage counselling with my with my minister you know and they've left me you know yeah. <laughs> so it, it, you you go through that and it's like oh um, this is part of part of life um, you know Errol was explaining the type of schools that he was in and I was in um a school called Forest Door Boys. Um, it was predominantly white in my first year. And um, then it got more uh, mixed, shall I say. Um, I grew up in the time of the New Cross fire. Um, and my best friend um, was in that fire. Um, so he was uh, 13, I think And what was, was the New Cross fire, just in case people don't know? Uh, New Cross fire, I can't remember the year. What, what year is it? Do you know, Errol? Can you remember? 
Uh, sorry, no. yeah. um, basically, um, it was a party in New Cross, and um, 1981. Yeah, and I think it was 13 that that died in that fire. Um, protests transpired after that because there was no resolve on it to this day. Um, but you can imagine being at school. There's no counselling back then, so you're at school. You're sitting in the classroom, and your best friend is not sitting next to you, and you know, even the headmaster walks in and says, have you seen Andrew? And I say, no. And then he just walks off. And nothing further than that was said other than announced in school that um, he, w- he was dead. And to have the experience of walking in the playground, no count- remember, no counselling, no care, and um, white kids walking up to you and saying, oh, I see you didn't get burnt. Like mocking you, kind of like, like a yeah. like playground, it, it, like kind of playground banter, but like yeah. <laughs> clearly deeply offended. So just just oh. so, just so people know, uh, there was a, a, a house fire in 1981. There was a house party, and um, uh, the blaze killed 13 young black people aged between 14 and 22. Yeah, and you don't get over it. You know, you deal with it and you remember it, and it's um, it's. I suppose it's not as painful as it was back then, um, but it still it still hurts when you think that people would callously say something like that um, when you're grieving. You know, it's a huge loss. Um, mm-hmm. But those are the kind of experiences. It's not to make anybody feel guilty. Um, you know, what happened to George Floyd? Um, why people don't understand um, why everybody, all black people, are up in arms because it reminds you of everything that you've gone through, where you have suppressed your own breath in what has happened to you. It might be large, it might be small, but it's equally as, as painful. Um, you know, there is no um, um, therapy or class that you can go to, no treatment that you can go to to um, discuss racism. There is if you've been raped or victim um, you know, of, of various crimes, etc., um, trauma, you know, uh, post-traumatic disorder. You know, you can, you can have um, some kind of treatment. You can't have any discussion forum or to talk to someone about the racism that you go through and you have to deal with. And most importantly, or most, the worst thing is that you have to actually suck it up and deal with it and be the better person. Um, yeah. But that, the, that's 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 what I'm saying about about thinking this week about feeling it, and it ties into what you were saying, Errol. Is someone growing up feeling like there's this glass ceiling just above them where they they can have to limit their self-expression or where they go or how mm. how loud they might be at, at a party or or I mean some of the some of the stories obviously from America they're all being brought back up now people mm. have been shot in, in in certain scenarios where when they were doing nothing where they were holding an ice cream where they were in their own house where mm. they were um and this this isn't necessarily for us to comment on on some of some of those things because because people can go and mm. find it on, on the internet but I, I was really curious was about just how that manifests itself in the in the uk and what it's like as a, as a, mm. as a black person to experience that and what i hear mm. inside of all this is, is how generational it is yeah. Like if yeah, definitely. if your parents were felt a little bit oppressed mm. and their grandparents felt a little bit oppressed, then you've got generations of people growing up who mm. have not been able to fully express themselves. Like 
if you put a plant in a in a pot that's too small for it it like mm. it needs to grow you know it, it, people need mm. to express themselves um mm. so you know i think this this touches neatly into the whole s- stop and search which you don't hear so much about on the in, in the tv and news these days but it, it it's mm. been more 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 of a prominent subject in your communities and in your in your experience growing up what how how does that play out what's what's that like how 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 oppressive is that I'm talking about like police stop and search and, and mm. the, the proportion of, of how many more black people get stopped and searched than other, others. Yeah. You know, that's a, it's a mess. It's a mess really. Um, the, the stats speak for themselves. Um, it's, it's just, there's, there is such a mistrust between the police and the communities that they serve mm-hmm. that it, it's just created a, an environment and a culture in which there's just hostility. There's hostility between the t- between two sides. So you can imagine, you know, a police officer, a white police officer who's, who's you know, you, you've seen things like teach first, right? Let's bring it out of the police thing, right? You see like the teach first, like in schools now, they bring in the, something like teach first, will train up a teacher, um, you know, really quickly. And they, they come from a leafy suburb into a, in a city comprehensive with no reference points, no understanding. They don't know the culture, don't know the, the language, the, all that stuff. And they, and they come in and it's like, they sink. They absolutely get, they struggle because like it's so far from them. Right. Well, if you, you, you give that person some handcuffs, some CS spray, a baton, a badge, a uniform, and you put them in that context, what they're going to do. They have no understanding. They have no way of connecting, no way of relating. They don't, and and they've got the authority now of the of the of hate of the police yeah, behind them. So it makes for a, a bad concoction. You know what I mean? Yeah. And do you, you know, in, in, you know, I can see as well in that situation that that person, the police person, more than the teacher, they're suddenly in a, in a state of fear. So their actions mm-hmm. aren't necessarily b- consistent with their own beliefs or their own. And, and so, so that, 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 that creating flashpoints of, of, of dis- disconnect. I can really see that there's where, where mm-hmm. communication, where understanding, where relatedness should exist. There's disconnect mm-hmm. and fear and, and resentment. It's- and there's no doubt you get those that for whom it's like, they're going to get those bad black people anyway. They're, they've come into the job to go, to go to that part of the city or country to deal with those bad black people or yeah. those bad Asians or whatever. You know what I mean? They're, that's what their program is. But I, I wrote in my notes about this today, like the idea, and I, I'm not from a from a low class or low income community. Um, you know, even this whole expression about white privilege, like mm. up until this week, I heard that as how dare you throw that around? Like, don't, don't throw that at me. I'm, I'm like white privilege. Like I'm not, even the politicians, you're kind of like, well, yeah, maybe they, that's how they grew up, but they're trying to do a job for us. Why are you throwing at them? In? And, uh, and a lady I know, Ola, she said, you know, you, you've got to understand the context of that. It's take away the negativity and just say that they have a privilege that they were in that situation. They don't have to have a different context. Their context was their leafy suburb or whatever their upbringing upbringing was, and so that gives them that that white privilege. Not take away the not negative, not good or bad. They have 
a white privilege, they have a perspective that isn't broad enough to really consider all, all, all needs and feelings. Um, mm. I've lost my train of thought slightly, but, um, ah, damn it. It will come, it will come back to me. Um, what was, what was my concern about that? It's completely gone. Um, <laughs> it's okay. He'll come back. He'll come back. Wait till, wait, till pick, get, wait till you get to 54. No, I know. I know. I'm just trying to pick up the whole conversation though. But, um, uh, Errol, where, where did you leave us on what you were saying a second ago? So I was saying um, the example of like, you know, teach first, we're talking about white police officer comes in, has no reference points. Some yeah, yeah, some yeah. come in because they that's their mission to deal with those black people. Um, so you end up with hostility. You're talking about stop and search and what have uh, you. I was talking about and, communities. And yeah, I got it. I'm back. I'm back in the yeah, room. Yeah, communities, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So if you take an inner city community... And all the associations that people have with that crime, drugs, even down to like really like oh rape, bad, like just distinctly bad people. Mm. There's a there's a level at which that, that is that, that is put upon a particular community, a black community maybe, but actually it's far more circumstantial than it is a comment on their race or origins. Surely, like it's a human thing. Put in those circumstances, this is what this is what we will degenerate to, regardless of where we where we come from. Do, is, you know, is, is that a problem in, in some of those uh, inner city or or, or or lower income communities? You think? Uh, if I'm jumping in, I, I hate that narrative. I hate the narrative. I hate the narrative because historically, there's so much evidence of flourishing black communities. Yeah. Um, let me. I'm gonna go back to America first of all. I can go back to with my grandparents in Jamaica and how they flourished there. But even like the times in, I think it was in like the 60s in America when, you know, Detroit was booming and, and so many parts of the country were booming black businesses, you know, um, talk about um, Oklahoma and Tulsa and, you know, all these, these parts of the, of the country were just thriving. The black pound was like the pound for companies to go after the black dollar. Yeah. And, and it wasn't until certain policies came in place um, that impacted the black communities. Um, I mean, if you go and check out what happened in Tulsa, um, the bombing in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where the police force flew planes over, bombed and lynched the black community, um, just purely because, they were, you know, it was a racist environment, but they were prospering so much. that They, they, they wiped out a whole community and killed hundreds of people. As an example, so our hist- black history is not one of um, poverty, is not one of, um, you know, uh, we, black, black people ha- don't have that background. Yeah, I, I don't yeah, have that. Yeah, that yeah. Bra- Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's not who we are. No. But, so the, the narrative and what's sold, media and all that kind of stuff, um, it's, it's just over the last kind of 20 not twenty, like in, since like this, maybe since those 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 years. Let's say the narrative that's coming and the can I, if I can say one more thing on this: the prison pipeline that's been created. So the prison, big business. Uh, some of you might know. You might, guys might know how these private prisons are owned, or these same the record labels, the big record companies own mo- a lot of these private prisons. And so they understand that if we put this music out 
this violence, this crime, and all these different things. We program their kids towards violence and crime. We get them along this prison pipeline. Yeah. Our prisons are populated. And so it's, it's all very intentional, all very strategic. Is the, is the, is the, is the problems in the American prison system similar in the UK? Is that, is, is that happening here in the UK? Or is, I have read today uh, how many more, what, what the, I've got the numbers here, the disproportionate number of black people in UK prisons. Um, mm. uh, this says, I'm, I, and I, don't, I can't verify these, these stats. I just found them online today. Uh, it's in the UK. Mm. I make up 14% of the UK population, but 25% of the prison population. So is 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 a different system here in the UK, but there's still disproportionate number of black people in prison in the UK than there is white people. Yeah, I've done um, a prison ministry in um, both Wandsworth and Brixton prison. Um, yeah. it's it about a while a while back, um, and it's the first time ever that I was going into uh, prison to actually uh, do ministry. And so, even for me as a black person. I was totally shocked by the number of uh, um, black men that were in there. Um, you know, people that were doing life and we were in their 60s, 70s um, um, in prison and to have the whole chapel filled with um, black men sitting there. Um, you know, at first I was nervous, but I ministered and it was just it was just so hard to... Um, to grasp that so many of my black brothers are in there, regardless of whether they are guilty or not. Yeah. Um, the, the fact that there's so many of them in there and, you know, unfortunately uh, other people get, get away with a lot of stuff, you know, um, but it, it, it did shock me. It did shock me. And, and that's me as a black man. Well, some um, people would say, real- go on, go on. Go on, go on, go on, go on. Well, some people would say, oh yeah, if you did the crime, then you should go to prison, but you've got to look, keep going back, back, back behind that and say, well, okay, but well, what's causing that? And then, and then what position were they put in that? And then what position were their family put in that? And then even, even down to the number of, of families that leaves growing up without a father, but growing up with a, without a man figure in, in the family. And can I just yeah. say, um, I appreciate the questions and comments from Rose and um, Jenny and Tyler Um it's just I really appreciate the people that are watching and commenting on the on the video. So thank you. Um, sorry, you know, going back to what you said, Tony. They uh, the the disproportionate number of black people in the UK prison population is is that a a, a case you think of heavy handedness in in the way that black communities are policed, or 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 is you know can can you can you see any any reason for that? Is is is, is it racially motivated in any way do you think um i mean you know just talking as a normal person where black yeah. people are there um and you know what i've seen on the streets um you know they are they are victimized and yes there are um and c- certain people from the black community that are, are making it much more difficult um for us to you know change the narrative um especially when the press and uh uh, anybody else connected to that will the media shall i say um will focus on that um rather than the good that that black people are doing um yeah. which causes the fear and then uh, i suppose for some people they get the delusions of grandeur 
that they're they're big, bad, and black, and they can do this and they can do that um, because there's no other alternative. Um, I suppose in in jobs. I mean, you know, people are now deciding that they want to, you know, do drugs and and be drug seller because they're making money, you know, and they want to live the life of what the rap artists or what the music industry industry is actually showing them. Yeah. Um, Which ties into what Errol was saying. There's a, there's a degree mm-hmm. there of like propaganda and, and and positioning and influencing people in in the in a negative way, mm. which in itself should it should be an eye opener to people. It should, it should, it should shock people in the, in that documentary, the 13th um, tells you about Alec, the, the, the um, it's a, it's a political and corporate entity that helps shape laws in, in America. Um, It's just startling. Um, It's, it's, I don't know how much of it goes on in the UK, but I, th- I think I think it's important that we at least have an understanding of what goes on. And if you're saying it's not just enough to say, well, there's more of this particular type of person in prison because they must have done the crime. We're saying, well, what's going on in the, that community? Are they being arrested more regularly than white people? Are they, are in, certainly from what I read this week in America, someone who's committed a crime and is white, the same p- person, if they're black and committed the same crime, is more likely to go to prison for the, for the same crime which in itself does nothing for the communities that those people come from. Mm. Um, I, I, I suppose um, one way to look at um, the comparisons between the two countries are um, America is um, overt and the UK is covert in their racism. Right. Um, in, ge- in general. And um, I made that statement because, you know, what we experience is usually in a, in a covert way. Right. Um, it's very subtle, um, and it's, but it's still equally as imp- um, painful. Okay, that, that, this is great. I, I definitely wanted to touch on this. So, so, what is that like? You know, as a black person going about your day to day business, what are some of the just low, well, low level? Someone said to me today, Ola said to me, no, not this, this week, she said, Do you know what, Johnny? It's, you know, that expression like a thousand little cuts. That's what it's like. She said, That is what it's like. And, and you wouldn't, you could, you couldn't imagine what that's like unless she, unless you were me. And she goes, she goes, and worse than that, she goes, I'm a black woman, so I get I get both double whammy. She goes, <laughs> so what are those styles and cuts? What is that covert, perhaps by some people, inadvertent racism that happens on a on a regular basis? Um, for me, um, I think it started quite early. Um, looking for jobs, and you send your CVs out. My first name is Leroy. Right. I am now Tony. Yeah. As soon as I changed my CV, I was fine. I could get interviews. Um, wow. I would get jobs, the whole thing. Um, and that was quite easy. And it, it was one manager that said to me when I was in the job, I think you need to change your name to Tony. And I did, you know, just trying to have a quiet life. And it just made things easier because I used to do sales calls. And, you know, you say, my name's Tony Ashley. And, you know, would you like to come and meet me? And they come to the office and they sit downstairs in reception. Uh, and then you go downstairs and they say, my name is Tony Ashley. Hi, nice to meet you. And they look at you like, oh, so was you wow. expecting a, a, a blonde haired, blue eyed person? Uh, it's me, you know, and it, it's just, it, 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 you know, it's that all the time. So you change your name, you know, I would have four shopping bags in my hand and I'll be walking down the street 
and a lady will be grabbing her handbag. Right. You know, those little subtle things or not being served or waiting a long time to be served. And most of the times I never caught on, cotton on because it's because I'm black. You, but you'd be waiting ages, you know, in a well, restaurant. In a, in a pub or restaurant. Oh, restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like you're small either, Tony. No, you can't miss, <laughs> you, you can't miss me. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't see you over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, those are the um, strange – I mean, it, it goes on and on and on, and, it, and um, it's – it's just one of those things you just feel like oh, I don't even want to talk about it, you know. And at the same time, if I don't educate people and and, and let them understand how you feel in in some groups, um, uh, even in even in some churches, how one is made to feel, um, and you know, the older generations will actually tell you their stories of when they came over here and they thought, well, I'm going to church. That's what they did yeah. over there. I'm going to church and made to feel unwelcomed. And funny enough, that's, that situation still happens, but not with the black people. It's with the Iranians. And, you know, I've had Iranians coming from West London um, to my, ch- my church in East London because they were made to feel totally unwelcomed in a, in a predominantly white church. Wow, yeah, okay. You know, and it's that sense of, you know, and then what happened was that um, there were some white people that left our church because they were uncomfortable with the Iranians coming into church. Mm. All under the basis of we're Christians together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly, of course, yeah. Wow. So we're doing, you know, people are doing it to each other. It's like there is, there is a, a, a degree to it. This is a conversation of, about black people, but you're talking here yeah. really about... The, the the racial intolerance between all races of people to each other yeah and do you know it's i, I wrote some, i've written a whole bunch of stuff today you know, I'd, i like to think that i don't see people's color mm. any more than i see he's short she's got uh glasses on like I, of course i see it am i more attracted to white women than than i am chinese women or, or black women like Yes, I am right now. So there's things that I observe, like how I notice people differently. Mm. It doesn't mean I'm not attracted to any black people. Like it's like, it's just, I'm just, maybe I'm for me, I'm like in that inquiry. I I see people, I notice people come up. If someone's being aggressive or loud in a playground, particularly around here in the, in, in, in Maidstone, it will more commonly be a white family, you know, a bit, bit of an aggro kind of, you know, council estate sort of family than it, than it will be the Polish family who are probably there with a couple of generations of family. There might be three or four families having a picnic together. They kind of, they're sticking together, but, but they're, 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 they're hanging out, they're behaving and, and they seem more approachable than perhaps some of the, the Laria British fam, families going on. Um, so it's interesting to hear that, that you know, your experience there of, of, of different races and, and, and that intolerance across across the board. Wow. Mm. What what how you know you read a lot about the how it's harder to be a black person. You just touched on there, Tony, about getting a job and stuff. Um, Errol, you went to a to a grammar school, so so that was a positive. But you're the only black person for person mm. there. You know, to, to what degree? Is it is it real? To you know, to what degree is it harder? I don't think white people truly understand. I think they see it on so, TV and be like, yeah. "Yeah, it can't be that bad, surely." But like, how, how real mm. is that? You know, 
like I have to be clear like I'm not a victim and I'm not yep. trying to be in any kind of victim mentality or mindset I'm not denying the struggle I'm not denying how hard it's been for me but by the grace of God mm. you know God has helped me to overcome that and I feel I fear no I feel no inferiority or intimidation by any race at this stage in my life the reality is that you that when something like George Floyd happens, it it, it shows that there there's a there's a communal trauma, and there are indiv- individual trauma that hasn't been addressed in so many lives. People, these day to day slights, day to day jibes, day to day, you know, someone not giving you an opportunity, someone overlooking you, someone not taking you seriously, someone choosing not to involve you in a conversation or, or talk to you as though you're not, you're not human, someone talking down to you, someone you're in a three, you're in, you're standing with three people and you're having a three-way chat and someone acts like you're not there or so you're, you're standing talking to someone and someone comes and steps in the conversation as though you're not there and ignores you completely. You know, someone doesn't welcome you or greet you. These are the, the typical things that, um, happen on a day-to-day you get overlooked for a position because you're too black you get overlooked for a promotion because of it you know these are things that people are are encountering on a day-in day-out basis now let me say that I want to I want to add to that to say that I remember reading uh, an article about Trevor McDonald the newsreader yeah and they asked him and said Trevor McDonald how did you get so high to become the news at 10 anchor, you're on TV every night. And he said, I didn't see racism. Didn't see it. I kept my head down and I kept going. And he just, he just, just focused like that. And what you will get in life, what you will get, there are different people respond in different ways. Even in my grandparents' era, when they were being chased around by these teddy boys, they called them, and all that's going on, right? There were some black people who somehow they kept it kept going, right? And um, I know um, a professor, Richard Sargent, I remember him saying to me about there's there are different types. There's, there's some that are called strategic conformists, he says, and uh, these are those who are, are in denial of the existence of racism. They don't see it as far as they're concerned, and they've made a strategic decision to get to the top and, and, and just get there no matter what. And so they're prepared to sell their moms, you know, and dads if need be to, to achieve their goal. You will have those kinds of people. Not that it's not happening to them, but they conform and they, and they get there. Then you got those who are the survivors. Survivors are those who are, they are fully aware of the reality of racism, discrimination, uh, but they're prepared, not prepared to put their head above the parapet. They're not prepared to to get, you know, so they they know. And most people, a lot of people probably been in that survivor category. Like they, they, they don't see any point in challenging the narrative. They don't see any point because they're wasting their time. So what's the point? They're there at work. They're going to get a pension at the end of the day, you know, and they're, they're able to give to their church and give to their social cause and they're surviving. But then you get those, he said, who are the outsiders. The outsiders, he said, are those who um, receive their schooling and higher education in the Caribbean or in Africa. So that these guys have not been 
trained up in the system. And so now they don't have any understanding of racism. My wife's Nigerian. She came here to do a master's degree. She has no, when I talk about race, she's like, what is it? Like, I don't get it. She's never known anything other than being black. And so yeah. she's like, I'm just see who I am. And so, um, you know, they put up, they put up with it, you know, they put up with it and get on, get on with it. Like, it's not such a big deal. And then he said, you get those who are collectivists. These are the heroic black professionals, he says, who they just have, a, they understand it, they get it and they challenge it. And they don't care about what it costs them to challenge it. There's a hunger and a desire to succeed and develop and progress as people. And so what's happening now by the looks of it is that this kind of collectivist thing, the response we're seeing right now is this multiracial, multi-generational, collectivist response where people are saying, you know what? I, I, I don't care what it costs me. I don't care if you're going to say that I shouldn't be out here because of COVID. I don't care if it, we... Like, we're tired of having to play. Like, um, Reverend um, Ashley said, Tony said before that we started about um, Lenny Henry and, um, you know, Frank Bruno. You know, we, we, we don't want to have to be the clown in the room anymore. You don't want to have to be, you know, playing playing any games anymore. Like, just accept me for who I am. I am who I am. Understand my story. Respect my story. I respect you. You respect me. And and see past my skin color, don't 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 um don't disrespect my skin color, but see that inside me is a human being that deserves respect and honor, just like you deserve respect and honor, you know. Level playing field. Welcome back, amazing. Thank you. If you're catching me right now, that means that you've just listened to about an hour of that expert hangout on waking up to racism. It opened my eyes hugely and, and not just in isolation, right? but, but in, in I really realised that there was some conversations, questions being asked there. Uh, I was I was looking at things in a new way, things I hadn't asked before. And these are people I've known for 10, 12 years. And so what's that like to, to, to have friends that we don't ask questions of, that we don't go the full, the full mile with? And um, yeah, there's a second part. I will edit that up and it will follow on way quicker than the normal podcast schedule. So you can expect that in about 24 hours. It'll be part two of the Waking Up to Racism. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please like and share, subscribe to any of the channels. Being part of Team Superdad is about community. And you know, in no way would I ever want this community to have any kind of choice or discrimination by skin colour. It wouldn't even it would just wouldn't occur to me. But but yet it could be a concern of someone's coming in without even knowing anything about me. And and again, as I said before, that's what we have to change. We need people to just go through life with the same opportunities and the same expectations, whatever their skin colour. Thank you so much. My name's Johnny Jensen, Team Super Dead out. This has been Team Super Dad. Find us at teamsuperdad.com. <laughs>